Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast, where we choose to recover out loud by sharing our personal stories of inspiration, hope, and triumph. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. We are proof that recovery does happen. Joy and laughter may be involved. This is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Hello, listeners. I just wanted to pop in before we get started with this week's episode featuring Dara Meyer. We had a lovely conversation. It was so good, in fact, that I decided to go ahead and publish it, even though the production quality isn't as stellar as I normally would like it to be. A few reasons for this is, one, Dara decided to take the call and interview during the same time her landscapers were at her house, and it was the most comfortable for her to actually be outside in the yard during the interview while the landscapers were mowing, blowing, and edging. So please excuse that noise. It also appears as if being a rookie podcast host, producer, editor, I'm still learning the softwares that are associated with recording and producing and all of the things. With that, it will sound like I'm in a tunnel or a little box, echoey. That is because I was definitely talking into a beautiful microphone that was the first thing I purchased for this project. Well, there's a little button you have to hit in the software that says record. I didn't select the proper microphone. It was actually recording directly from my laptop. Bummer. But this is the thing. Dara and I had such a lovely, candid conversation, and we had so much great content. It was impossible to throw it away and decide to re-record this episode. So I thought I'll give you a warning, mostly because I'm a control freak and need you to understand that I get it. It's not the best production quality. Years ago in my addiction, I would have definitely freaked out about this. I would have had to re-record it. I would not have had an episode to release today, which I think would be more of a failure than having some editing issues and some sound quality problems. So please bear with us. Still new. It's just the third episode, which I'm so excited about the responses and the reviews that have come through. And I can't thank you enough. I'm really excited for this project. And I feel like we're creating a great listener base and a wonderful community that I look forward to serving every week. So please throw in your headphones, maybe turn it down a little bit so you don't get too much background noise. Listen to the content and know that Dara and I had an amazing time together sharing our stories with the hope to inspire, live, and give back to you. Dara Meyer, a former production events director for the National Football League, MTV, and Billboard, has been producing events ranging from small, intimate tapings to large-scale, nationally televised concerts for over 20 years. After leaving Billboard in 2015 to start her own production firm, Upfront Productions, Dara was asked to work on the first Unite to Face Addiction event, a concert for 25,000 people on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., With a mission to dispel the stigmas associated towards addiction, this concert was a first of its kind. Addressing the issue was especially meaningful to Dara. 
herself in recovery since 2010. Since then, Dara has continued to spend time working on bringing light to the importance of recovery through events and conferences dedicated to the cause. In 2017, she produced the first ever She Recovers in New York City conference. The inaugural event was held over three days in New York City and was attended by over 500 women from around the world. When not acting as a champion for those in recovery, Dara enjoys spending time with her two daughters and husband. Today, my very special guest is Dara Meyer. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. I'm Thank you so much. Excited. For, oh my gosh. So I just went through your bio, which is amazing. One of the things that I, of course, immediately, you probably get this all the time. Oh my God, you worked for Billboard and MTV. Who did you meet and what happened? Like you have story. Mm-hmm. I sure um, did. And I don't feel like you signed like a confidentiality thing and any of those people would be listening to this particular podcast. So you could probably tell us some of those stories. We want to know what the hell's going on. So keep that in mind that I'm going to ask you by the end of this to give me some kind of juice on a story that no one would know. But first, what I would love is for our listeners to get to know you and what specifically are you in recovery from? I am in recovery from alcohol and drug abuse, which is really weed. I mean, I've done all the drugs you can think of, but I not on a regular basis. I smoke weed every day from like 22 to like 32. So that was bad. And alcohol was always just what it was. I like to call it the one-two punch. And I did it every pretty much on a daily basis, if not binged hard on the weekend. So I did that for many years. So you you recognize yourself as being a woman in recovery um, from substance use and alcohol use? Yeah. Okay. And now what, where are we at with that? 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? I'll have 10 years in January. That is amazing. So yeah. um, that's about six months from now, which is so cool. Or yeah, um, maybe five months, depending on your math. Rounding up, yeah. I'm not fancy in math, so I don't I don't know. So what would you say? I mean, knowing that you were daily user, what took you to the point where you decided that you needed to change your lifestyle and that using marijuana and alcohol daily wasn't cutting it for you? Yeah, so I um I lived on the Upper West Side in Manhattan and uh in my own apartment that my father helped me out with because he thought I would never meet anyone because my best friend was alcohol versus finding anyone in my life. So he decided to invest in me and I got this like really nice apartment. And I'm not embarrassed to say it because shit, he did it for his daughter who was struggling. And, um, but I didn't know it at the time. And I met my husband out in Montauk and um, we started dating when I really could give a shit about men. At that point, they were just warm bodies to, you know, like pick in a bar and go home with. And um, then I met Ray and I decided that he was the one. And I came home from Montauk that weekend and I told my parents I'm going to marry him. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're full of shit. And I was like, yeah, well, I don't know. And sure enough, 12 years later, we're married. And actually today he probably fucking hates me, but it's, I mean, such is life. That's how the marriage, marriage goes. Uh, isn't that a real marriage? When you know, you could say, you know what, we've been married this long and he hates me today. Great. He's like, I'm like, I'm going to the grocery store. He's like, you don't ask me what I want. I'm like, who gives a shit? And he's like, oh, that's nice. That's wonderful. I love you I'm going to guess you want the same thing that you've been wanting for the last 12 years, dude. I think I could pick up your sliced turkey. 
We got get it. Your, I'll get your half and half for your coffee. All right. Relax. And oh, is there so, something new you're interested in? <laughs> are you going for avocado toast? Because I don't think so. I really, I don't think so. So anyway, so he's like, it's always about you always. I was like, well, I have this interview and I have to get ready. He's like, of course, of course. Yeah. Anyway. Ray is his name? It is Ray. Ray, thank so you he, so much. Thank you. We have to just give a shout out to Ray. Thank you for allowing us to have your wife for this period of time. It's really important to me. So I, this is not just about Dara. It's also about Lori. So I appreciate you, Ray. <laughs> He'd be like, fucking take her away. Um, so anyway, yeah. So we met and we were in love. So, so be it. He's he swept me off my drunk ass feet. I was going to say you were uh, drinking at the time. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. And I always remember the first time I met him. I, um, <laughs> we, we were at a, I had met him and um, we were at a bar and Montauk is pretty famous. And he was said, and he's like, oh, I'm here for a bachelor party. And I was just there with my girlfriend, just looking to have fun. And, and he was like, oh, my God, my mom taught, my mom was your soccer coach in high school. Stop <laughs> it. Like, what? I'm like, Jane Meyer had kids? And he was like, yeah, I'm one of them. And sure enough, yeah, he was handsome. So I was like, all right, let's keep talking. And um, then he... Then he was like, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I was like, we're going to the talk house, like a music place out there. And we're seeing this band, Booger Sugar, that we always see. And if you want to come, come. And so I didn't know if he was going to show up. And (laughs) so I went out to dinner before. And I guess I was was drinking pineapple martinis at the time. And it was like, I'm going to drink a lot of pineapple martinis because... If he comes, I need to be prepped. Like, I need to be juicy, ready to go. And if he doesn't come, I need to be prepped and just have, feel my sorrows. So, sure enough, he got him and his friends to come. And that was then we kicked it off. And I remember my friends being like, be mystique, be mystique. And show him that you know, you're worth coming back to. And I'd be like, Oh, fucking Christ. Like, all right. So fair enough. We made out and I was like, no more. You know, like we're done. And you can't do more than second base. My friend said, right, right, right. Come back to my friends. My (laughs) friends are saying, if you're a keeper, I got to keep this idea that I don't just give it up when I'm ready, like right away. So so he thought he met a different person, which is (laughs) so funny. Like, so fucking funny. He knows now the truth, which whatever. So I would hope like, so after 12 years. I mean, you'd hope so. Anyway, we met. We I came home that weekend. I told my parents, whatever. It ended up that, yes, we decided to date and get together. And, and my drinking just continued. And, of course, it did. And then he saw I had this, like, beautiful apartment on the Upper West Side. I worked for MTV. Thought he, like, hit the fucking jackpot. Meanwhile, yeah, what like, is the reading, jackpot? I'm excited about it. No, I was like a raving alcoholic who smoked pot every day. My dad financed my apartment. Like, like, sorry, my bad. Like, ah, smoke and mirrors. But um, he's done <laughs> with me. I forgot to tell you one thing. It's not Wait, just that. It's not just <laughs> yeah. pineapple martinis and Montauk. Mm-mm. 
No, it isn't. And he didn't smoke weed, which was the crazy part. So I live in my apartment. I always put like a towel on the door and I'd be like, hold on before we go out to dinner. Like, you know, it was like so fucked up. But he was like, whatever. It's a bu- bummer they didn't have those gummy bears when you were getting all high. You had to smoke the smoke. I know, right? I have to worry about my neighbors complaining. Be like, who the fuck is this girl? You can't even pop her? a gummy bear, man. You gotta go, go toke it up in the I mean, bathroom with a towel. But I, but I always was so proud of my rolling abilities. I'd be like, I can do this in two seconds. That's all right. It's all done. Done. Anyway, so we ended up. He and then yes, we we he finally like gave in. I always say his his mom's a bit of an alcoholic, which I hope she doesn't work this uh, hear this, but she probably will. And who gives a shit? And um, yeah. I always say like, thank God for her because he thought it was just normal. He used to buy her like beer and uh, marble reds like at like twelve like go in the store and like buy it so he I swear we're living the same life literally my dad same thing same thing I would go to the corner store I lived on Staten Island and I would go to the corner store no freaking kidding and be like Jimmy sent me here and I need this size you know like the freaking (laughs) can that's bigger than my head because I'm six and one cigarette because we were poor so the dude literally sold like 10 cents you can buy one cigarette are you kidding me? Like, I can't even imagine now because you're a mom too. Like, can you imagine sending your children? <laughs> and I always say she drank Bud Heavies. Like, she didn't even go to the light room. She was like the Bud Heavy, Ooh. like marble reds. And she just like drank and spoke in the house. And his father, God bless his soul, they're divorced. They divorced after 35 years. One of mine. It's probably my future. But um, it just like, he used to just be like, that's your mom and I don't know what you're coming home to. And so just like, but anyway, I do think part of that is that he thought it was like a normal way of, I don't know, maybe I, I, I you know, I can psychoanalyze him all we want, but. Um, no, that makes perfect sense. I think um, one of the, I, I say that often myself and especially with my mother is, you know, I kind of try to stick up for her and be like, well, she didn't know any different because I've gotten to the point where I feel like I'm, I'm breaking the chain. I'm the one. And while I'll say that it's sort of the same thing. It's like, well, my mom did X, Y, and Z. I would never do that with my kids, but she didn't know any different. You know, I've been exposed to a better life. I give myself credit for that because I allowed myself that by saying what I experienced was not enough for me as a child. But yeah. yeah, I think we all get to the place that you don't know what is different. You don't understand, like, this is normal. Going to the corner store to get my dad cigs and a freaking 40 at six was normal. And so, of course, as I'm growing up and I'm in high school and I don't want to go to math class and I'd rather go to Shana's house and go drink vodka, then I'm going to go do that. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And that, and that's what, you know, he always has memories. And ironically, I mean, he, like, she would have an ashtray and be like, Ray, you going to swim practice? That's great. And I'm like, drink a, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, no shit. You ended up with me. Like, that's such a beautiful sight. Oh. You know, I would never do that. <laughs> I can't even imagine. But fair enough. We got married and I am, as you probably, you read that I produce events. And so before he even, like I was old. I was 36 when we met and um, I knew like, you know, the top, the clock was a ticking and uh, I needed to get this shit together. So I decided to book the church, the um, reception place, 
and which was my parents' country club and the band before he even proposed because I wanted to have a spring wedding and it was winter. <laughs> of course. So, so, he, so he took me out this very beautiful restaurant, the Red Cat in New York City. And he's like, you know, actually, no, no, no. He did it at the apartment because he was like, there's no way she's ever going to be surprised. She's just so in tune. So he like did like a bachelor thing and just had all the flowers and, and a chair and just was like, will you marry me? And I'm like, yeah. And then we went out to dinner afterwards. And um, I was like, okay, great. I have the band. I have the date. I have the reception and I um the church is all booked and he was like look and I was like oh I um I just figured this was coming and since I did design my rings that I like why wouldn't I do that why wouldn't I do that? I want to get married on May 31st it's all set and I mean at first I, th I thought he I mean he, he, he couldn't even speak. And then all of a sudden he's like, all right. Yeah. Like, I he's guess. like, shit, I got nothing. Perfect. I'm so glad you planned that. He's like, he's like, I don't have to go through a million different walkthroughs. I'm like, no, you're good. You're good. It took you're him perfect. a minute to figure out. And he's like, you just saved him seven months of freaking hell. Hell. <laughs> and then he'd be like, what can I do? I'm like, nothing. We're good. What you can do is go get your checkbook and go sit in the corner. Oh, wait, dad's paying for it, right? Yes. <laughs> paying for it. Sorry. You I'm gonna, <laughs> Daddy's got it. And, just um, show up. Just show up. Just show up. Just go up. Look good. That's all. Got a couple guys sure that can stand up for you. Yeah. And um, the whole, like, the husband getting the limo thing, like, so antiquated. I was like, I'm fucking, I got it. I got it. We're good. So that anyway. is interesting because there's definitely what some would call traditions out there. You know, moving to the West Coast as a teenager and just the things that they do differently, East Coast versus West, in the sense of tradition and sweet 16s, the weddings, the formalities, who's in charge of what. Holy Jesus. I tried bringing that in on my first marriage. <laughs> and then I was really glad that my second husband decided he wanted to elope. I always say I'm pissed off at him for that, but really, am I? No, no. I mean, I, oh, yeah. Okay, so your husband found you. You were a drunken mess and he loved you anyway, which sounds like that's what he was used to. And then um, you got married. And then what? Is he a drinker? He does drink. But, but he don't, not like you. I'm such a shitty driver, which I don't know if we'd ever get to. Like he will stop drinking at events or he'll have one or he'll have none because he's like, as it so sucks that I have a designated driver in my life, but she's the shittiest fucking driver that I can't even like. He can't even use you as the designated driver. I can't driver. use. Yeah, exactly. I can't be that. Like it sucks. Like How are like, you such a like, terrible driver? <laughs> I just fucking, I don't know. It's like, can't be perfect. Um, I Because I'm perfect at everything else. So I have to suck at driving. I don't, why don't so you get that? I got like nine points on my license oh post-sobriety. And I, post I really, I really like laugh all the time. Like my daughter laugh. was, I, my, my daughter's in the car and she, and I like blew two stop signs and the cops, you know, stopped me. And, and I was like, Abby. Abby and she was like four. I was like, 
tell them you have to go poopies. Tell just say you have to go poopies. Like I'm gonna tell them. And the cop, like, I rolled out my window, whatever, and, and I'm like, I- I'm sorry, she's she's got to go to the bathroom so badly, like massively. And she's like, No, I don't. And the guy was like, Write me up, lady. Not you. Just ask your daughter to lie. Squeakers. Like I know, right? But that's like who my daughter is because she follows my husband's way. So I can't. Yeah, Ray would have been in the back saying the same thing. Uh, uh-uh, uh, she just sucks at driving. Give her a ticket. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I've got poor Ray. Ex. I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, most people. He's got a narc as a daughter and a drunk wife that can't drive while she's sober. That sucks. <laughs> and, he, and he always has like time limits where I can't get into an accident. And then like, I will. And he'll be like, oh, so right now our insurance is like over $800. And he's like, that's so not normal. He can't even get a second car. <laughs> and he has a fucking sober wife. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Oh man, that should be the irony. The irony of it all, right? You think he's like you have to go take that test that teaches you about how not to drunk drive again to get ten percent off your insurance. I'm like, what the fuck? This sucks. So anyway, so yeah, so we got married. And we moved out to the island and uh, the Long Island, the Long Island, and um, right away I was like, let's get this done. Like you yeah. know, and he'd be like. No, 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 no. Hold on. You have to stop smoking weed before you try to get pregnant. And I'd be like, wait, what? What? Why? Why can't I get pregnant? Then stop. He's like, no, 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 it's not how it works. And I remember going through a week of withdrawal from, I finally gave in because I wanted a child so badly. And I was like, all right. And I mean, it was Actually, we were living in Manhattan at the time and redoing our house out here. And um, I just remember being on the couch and being like, I I think I'm going to die. I just need need one joint. I just need one. I just need one hit from a bowl. I just need like, and then I'll be okay. And he's like, no, you're you're out of your mind. And that's, you know, doing it alone doesn't really work. But that's what I did. And he's like, you want a kid? He's like, you know, no penis, no sex. If you smoke weed, you know, no weed, penis, sex. I'd be like, oh, fucking Christ. So I finally, yeah. And it was hard. It was hard. And that's when the drinking escalated because that was. All right. So you went from, okay, weed, weed, weed and like drinks, whatever, but knowing now that you had to give up what you considered at that time, that was what your addiction was. You started drinking more. Yeah, totally. And that's interesting too. And tell me what you think about this is the drinking more. And I don't know, tell me, do you have like a predisposition? Do you have family alcoholics in your family? Yeah. My dad's in in recovery. Okay. um, He has 26 years. Thank God. That's amazing. That's amazing. He, he, um, yeah, he, yeah I grew up with it I didn't they didn't talk about it as you know my mom wanted the perfect life and um it was very hidden like my my older sisters were more aware I was kind of kept in the dark but I knew there was something going on I just really didn't understand it 110 percent which how could I was a young kid but um well and it sounds like too that your mom designed it that way yeah or whoever I mean I'm not not yeah no it, no, it totally was. She just didn't want, you know, she wanted to be like, daddy's okay. We're yeah. all okay. Everything's going to be. And he was a functioning alcoholic, just like I was like, mm-hmm. could get his job done, like, you know, provided and did everything just, you know, 
happen to have drinking problems. You know, well, so- and I think that's where I was going with that questioning, Dara, is knowing that from my experience as a drinker, I was raised in situations where I have, I'm surrounded by alcoholics in my family, immediate family, and so on. It took me a long time to get to a place where I would consider having an alcohol problem while I was a drinker when I was in high school, right? Like I, and when I drank, it was like shots. Like we were not just going to go have a beer, you know, after the football game, it was like purple hooters until we pass out. So it's interesting to me to hear other people's recovery stories. When you know that there was an addiction to something, you have this alcoholism in your family. In my mind, that means in your blood, because I really do believe it's a disease and say, say and then then you wake up one day and you're like holy fuck i'm drinking two bottles of wine a night and 2 years ago i'd have a glass every other week or something right yeah and that, and i think that was the crazy part of it all is that if they talked about it more would i've been different i don't know i doubt it i don't i doubt it but the crazy part is that when my dad was first getting sober, my mom had Hodgkin's and he was dealing with it with the drink. And then after that, he just couldn't like My mom was like, I can't. And um, anyway, he, she, so he decided to get, so, and I was in college and college was like a prime time for me. And uh, so he was trying to get better. And I was like at my all time worst. And I just think like as a parent, how he ever handled that. And he never lectured me. He didn't tell me I have to stop. He, I mean, he just was, he would just, you know, pray. That's what my dad did. He just prayed that I would eventually get it. And um, sure enough, I did, but it took a long time. But like, yeah, he, he, ne- I mean, I appreciate him never lecturing me because I don't know. I just would have reacted like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not you. I'm fine. You know, it just would have caused more trouble than it's worth. But yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. Well, that's something I feel as well with the fact that maybe our generation of parents were hiding things from us rather than educating us. And I almost 100%. Feel- I almost feel I do the complete opposite to my children and my 13 year old soon to be 14 year old son wants to stab me because I'm literally like all the time. If they ask you to have a sip, you know, one sip for you is going to be like a 12 pack. And he's like, mom, I don't even like, I don't care. Like, I don't even want, you know, but I get so freaked out about it that I'm overly exposing him to what could happen. Same. Yeah. Same. 100%. And I, uh, you know, I've had my daughters, I do the AA program, and uh, I do have them come give me my coins. And and they understand what that means. You know, they my daughter has given me my uh, eight year, my nine year coin. And of course, she'll give me my 10. And it's like, she gets it to a degree, you know, my seven-year-old, not so much, but my 10-year-old gets it. Like, she's like, I get it. You don't drink, you know? And it's like, and I, and I tell her the story. I did it because of you, because to oh. go back to like, when I got married, I had this baby and, you know, and it's crazy how you can go nine months without drinking and because you know, you're responsible for another life. But then I went, once I had her, it was like off to the races. I mean, I wasn't smoking weed, but I, cause I felt 
like as a parent, that's inappropriate, but I can have wine, which is like so messed up too, right? And uh, I I did, and um, I couldn't wait to put her down in her crib so I could drink my Savion Blanc. I drank Savion Blanc religiously, and uh, just I just realized, you know, one day I just. Uh, it woke. It was actually New Year's Eve. It's very cliche, <laughs> but uh, I work on New Year's Day, and I just looked in the mirror, and I hated who I was because I realized I'd been given a gift of a child, and I was abusing it. Like I was abusing myself. Like now there was someone else in the picture that I needed to take care of, and if she didn't exist, and her middle name's Hope, and that wasn't done. I mean, I love that name, but she was my hope for a real, you know, she was, she gave me hope that like I could have a better future. And I went to my first meeting and I mean, she was 16 months and, and it just, she changed my life. Like, I, I don't know if Ray and I couldn't have children. I don't know. I don't know. I, I can ask my questions that all the time, but she was the reason I did it. And I know in my in AA, it's like you do it for yourself. You don't do it for others. You got to do it for you. You got to. And I'm like, I can tell you 100%. I did it for her. There's no. I came second, and I didn't want her to have an absentee mother. So she got me to uh, the place of sur- you know surrendering. You know, very. I was very. All I knew was AA. That's all I knew. I didn't know anything else. That's what my dad did. That's all. You know, there wasn't all these. Um, pathways that there are today 10 years ago it just it was different and um, I love all the other pathways I do I think it's amazing whatever works for you whatever gets you sober I totally agree and and and, you know she recovers and facing addiction has taught me a lot of that and um, you know I was like just like suburban housewife going to her AA meetings and you know having her coffee and you know calling it a day and and then I realized just like whole world out there and that was that was really helpful. And that really ramped up my recovery, you know, five, six years ago. So, okay, we are really just getting into now your drinking and your daughter. So she's your oldest. So you're little, you have two? Mm-hmm. And so the youngest is not aware of Dara drinking Dara. No. 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 She never saw that. They're sober. So that's the crazy part. I feel like I, you know, the whole world wasn't writing books. I could write a book on having a kid so a sober and having a kid, you know, non-sober. It was like night and day. It was crazy. I really and having Brooke was hard for me because I just, you know, I had Abby in like 3.2 seconds. I mean, I think like Ray touched me and I was pregnant. And then we <laughs> And then <laughs> not the night of the pineapple martinis, though. <laughs> yeah, they helped. And then, um, yeah, so Brooke, Brooke was uh, a tough one. You know, I was, I was such a, I was pre- uh, perfection. You know, I was very planned out. So perfectionist, I guess, in that sense, like everything had to hit a time. So I was like, I had Abby, it's been two years, it's time to get pregnant with Brooke and it's or my second child and here we go and let's get it on. I'm ovulating, you know, and he'd be like, okay. And um it didn't happen. And it was like a year and it was like what the f-? and I was sober at the time and I'd be like, you know, like you know, and I was it was crazy. And 
I didn't know what to do. And then it just kept, and then I finally went to a doctor and he was like, we're going to try IUI and we're going to try and do it. And, you know, like for, I, I, you get like six try. I think it's six and you, I did it twice. And I was both told twice that she, or the baby, there was no baby. And, um, which is really so fun because I'm like, right, you got to jerk off. You got to bring it to the fucking place and they have to like squash it and then I have to get inserted. Like, you know, it was like such a, it's such a, it's such a very like romantic thing, right? Like yeah, jerk it's, off, it's, bring it to the cat, bring it to the place. Please put this in a cup and make me a baby. <laughs> yeah, put it in a cup, the tinfoil on, now run to Manhasset and get it done. And he'd be like, all right, this is so romantic and sexy. I'm like, yep. And then anyway, they told me twice. And I remember the second time they told me I happened to have one bottle of wine in my basement. And when they told me, I went to pick it up. And I went to pick it up and be like, fuck it. I don't care. Fuck it. And um, I was just so upset because I was so regimented. Like, why isn't this happening? Abby was so easy, Brooke so hard. and And then my dad called me who is the first person I reached out to when I get sober. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, nothing, nothing at all. Like, thank God, because then the next month we went in and we did it again. And it's like, okay, let's hold hands. Time to insert. Like, it's so not, but that was my choice. That was all we had. And um, the doctor called me like four days later and was like, you're pregnant. And I'm like, what? So, and now I have Brooke, who's like a mini me who I'm like, she will be like, she'll be in a meeting. Like I went to meetings when I was three, you know, like I I always say it. It's it's just how I go to humor all the time, but it's just, she is a little spitfire and I adore her and I can't imagine life without her. So that'll happen for a reason. And she knows, she knows mommy doesn't drink. So yeah, she's fully aware. They're all fully aware. Well, I, I love that they're aware and having those conversations are so important for our next generation because the fact that my family hid so much is really angering me at this age, right? Because now I'm finding stuff out. I mean, family stuff, like my brother who I was raised with as my brother is really my half brother. He has a different father. Why no one plan to tell us until whenever? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. so I'm almost, like I said earlier, like overly telling my kids things. Yeah. I always say, I'm like, you're if, without communication, there, there's no point. Like, if you know, Abby, she goes out and she has sex for the first time and it's a bad experience. Like, I want her to come home and tell me, you know what I mean? Like, I just, or, you know, she drank, she had a glass and then threw up. Like, I, I just want to know, like, I don't know how she'll react knowing she's grown up with her mom that's been so vocal and does a lot of stuff that she's aware of in her career that, you know, helps advocate for recovery and, and whatnot. So she's, you know, maybe I'm putting her in a sticky situation, but at the same time, you know, it's, I just know we'll be open. We'll be able to talk about it. And that's yeah. something my parents never, ever did with me. I, I did not know. I just knew my dad smelled like scotch every night. I didn't even know what scotch was. He just smelled like some awful smelling alcohol or he'd be <laughs> sleeping on the couch, which is really passing out. And I'd be like, 
all right, good night then. Have a nice day. You know, like, and no sleeping. one, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. He'd be like out cold. I'm like, he's like six, four, like, you know, two forty, whatever. And I'd be like, mom, dad's like out cold. Like he can't even sit on the couch. She'd be like, he's fine. He's all okay, good. baby. He's tired from today. <laughs> baby I had a rough day at work. And I'd be like, fuck. And he worked for the Long Island Railroad for like 25 years. And he had this like really embarrassing company car. And it would be like Long Island Railroad. It was like a blue station wagon. And, you know, all these years later, I learned like he had it. So he can go to like liquor stores and like stock up in the car. And like no one else would know the better because no one else was going in it. I would be like mortified. I'd be like, why is that in front? You know, in high school, like, why is that in front of my house? Like my friend, it's so embarrassing. You know, my dad's got like nips in his sack. He's like, you know, nips in the car. Like it was crazy, but I didn't know any of that at the time. Nothing. Yeah, that's what like we don't like we didn't know. So now we're do are we overly sharing? Who knows? And I yeah, hope, I don't yeah. I hope the same for you in the sense of like your closeness with your children is enough to make them trust you, even though it's completely opposite of what you've been rallying for for the last ten years. Totally, hundred percent, hundred percent. I hope I always say like. I hope I'm their first line always that if there's anything like come to me. I've been through it all and, and I know all the tricks. So you're so fucked, right? Like you come home drunk and high. I'm going to know there's, there's like, my mom was like, Oh, what's going on with you? Your eyes look a little red, you know, like, she didn't know what marijuana was. Like, what's this, an herb from the backyard? Like, you know, she was just clueless. <laughs> I can't. Oh my God. To be a fly on the wall back in the day when all that was going on. So you went from pot to husband saying it's time to stop doing that. If you want to have a baby, you have a baby, then you have the other one sober. Yes. And it was night and day. Night and day. Like, like Abby would cry and my first one. And I'd be like, oh, fucking great. Jesus fuck. Like, when can I put her down? I have my fucking glass of wine and maybe I'll go smoke a cigarette, even though I haven't smoked cigarettes in 20 <laughs> years. Like, who gives a shit? And, or maybe I'll just go to like Queens and get a bag of weed. Like, I mean, I was such a crazy because I was total um, type A, you know, like, and then this baby comes in and controls your whole life. And I'm dealing with my alcoholism, which I, I'm not really fully aware of, you know, and it's like, bad news then Brookie comes and she's crying and she can't go to bed and I'm like it's okay baby I love you so much you're such a blessing what a gift and I'd be like this he was like what, the, what, happened, what the fuck happened to me I'm gonna have therapy for the rest of my life because you know and then Brooke's like oh, psychiatry unit. oh man he's so cute yeah. Give my baby sister a bitch. <laughs> yeah. She's like, why does Brooke get everything good? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Because mommy's, mommy's not drunk. A little better. Yeah. I mean, Abby, I'd be like, oh my God, just go fucking to bed. Go fucking to bed. Like, I was like that typical mom. I was like, I'm just going to take her to the car for 14 hours and she's going to sleep and I'm just going to sleep with her. That's all. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to drive, drive around the block 600 times and my husband be like, okay, you do that, but you're a shitty driver, so you probably shouldn't. <laughs> and I'd be like, you're right, you're right. Okay. 
your life, your daughter's life at risk by driving her around as an infant. <laughs> I know. I'd be like, I'm taking the pumpkin seed. I'm going like this crazy <laughs> fucker. <laughs> oh man. So you really, I mean, marijuana, alcohol, married, daddy's taking care of you, babies, and you have a high stress level job is my assumption based on being a production events director. Yeah. Yeah. So at MTV, it was like all high stress. I had a boss that basically worked there when like video killed the radio star was the first video that was like put on air. Like she was like, Oh, let's put that on. That was like her and three other people. So she worked there was like her whole life. She never got married, never had a kid, nothing. And she ended up being my boss. And uh, she really was like obsessive, like would text me and, you know, with the blackberries back in the night before the iPhones and be like, yeah, Tara, um, I'm thinking of a Christmas gift for, you know, 2015. I'm like, well, it's 2012. So I don't know why we're going there, but okay, fuck you. And it's the middle of the night. But I was so like, so into it because I really had nothing else. It was still my identity that I'd be like, oh, let's think about things. Let's do like a moon man or, you know, like a replica and put their names on it. You know, like I was just, I was that person. Like, she enabled me to be to just work 24 7 and that was part of it so when I did come home and this was all prior to meeting Ray obviously I would just like smoke the biggest fattest joint and and uh you know I really I never really had I'd go out with my friend to get wasted but it was always the weed that would bring me to the calm place and I could just zone I mean, there was no Netflix and there was no, none of this back in the day. I can only fucking imagine. I'd be, they'd be like, Dara hasn't been for work for four days because she's been smoking weed and watching a lot of fucking TV. And I'm she's like, been yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh. Uh, she just you? watched 55 episodes. Yeah. So anyway, she, she used to, she, you know, we'd be like in the VMAs and she'd be like, let's talk about the movie awards or New Year's Eve or the next, the next, the next, the next. And, you know, there was never a downtime for me. So I constantly was going and going and going. And I, I embraced it because to me, it was like I was moving, I was becoming, you know, this really grandiose producer. And I did all the ticketing for the shows um, mm-hmm. in addition to overseeing it all. But I specifically did this ticketing and it came down to like very specific seating. So I'd have these huge boards, uh, I don't know, like eight by tens, and it would have the whole venue mapped out and I would put pins in that represent all the different people. It was like crazy, but like, that's what I did. And it was like all time consuming. And it was, it was, it was insane. It was insane, but it it worked. It was like prior to computer, prior to programs, like the whole thing, but it was just insane. And, you know, I became everyone's best friend because I had the tickets and Kathy, my boss was like, you are, you know, like she was the person, she was the mouth, but I was the person really who had the control. So she'd be like, just give your friends like 10 tickets. And I'd be like, okay. So we'd be like Radio City and Jimmy Fallon's like, you know, hosting and I give my friends like 10 fourth row tickets and I always said it like it sucked to be me, but it was great to be them. And then after parties and green room and all that shit. And, you know, I never drank during producing, but I always, after the after party, would get 
shit bomb wasted. And the bartender would always know to have a bottle of citron for me. And the photographer would always have a joint rolled. And it was just like a given for me for uh, nine years, 10 years. Wow. It was crazy. And that was, that's how I lived my life. So I worked hard. It's so cliche, but worked hard, played hard. That's right. what I did. I, I just took, I burnt the candle at both ends. And then, you know, yeah, I would get into fights. All the, I mean, I, I worked at the time. I did all the talent seating, obviously, because I was doing the seating for the end. The talent seating was like crazy because they'd be like, Brittany and Justin broke up and they can't be next to each other. Or Christina Aguilera really hates Brittany and they can't be anywhere near each other. And, you know, Fat Joe and 50 Cent. Look at me. White girl. 50 Cent. 50 Cent. Pretty said, um, can't be anywhere near each other. And I'd be like, okay, got it. I would get S Weekly as like publication paid for by MTV so I could keep up on all the news, even though I, I pretty much knew I was the pop junkies. It was crazy. And I'd have like, you know, all the town, the biggest talent at the time call me and be like, we need 45,000 tickets. I'd be like, no, you don't. You get like four. Like, this is how it works. And this is, and this is what we do. And the best is, uh, the best story ever I had was with, was with Usher. You're right. He's never going to hear it. If he did, he probably fucking deny it. But um, we were in Miami doing our first on the road event, and they were like, "Usher is on the phone for you." I'm like, "No, he's not." And they're like, "Yeah, he is." And I'm like, "Okay." So I like picked up and I'm like, "Hi." He's like, "Hey, hey, it's Usher." I'm like, "Oh yeah, really? Okay, great. Who the fuck is this?" You know? And he's like, "I'm down in the parking lot, and I just feel like you and you and me need to talk." And I'd be like, "Why? Like, what? Why?" And he's like, "I just feel like." And then, like, sure enough, like an entourage came in. They like basically like, lifted me down to his limo, and I got into a limo with him. And he's like, "So I need like twenty really great seats," and I'm like, "Okay." And he's like, it was that easy? I was like, I don't know. You just spent a lot of time trying to get me down here. And it's like, I'm in a huge venue at a Miami arena. And he's like, thanks, baby. I love you. I was like, yeah, me too. Love you too. And I'd be like, that's so fucked up. But they totally worked me. I was like, what am I saying? I usher's face. Like, no, can't do it. Sorry. Have a nice day. You know, like I... Really? You're like on your Blackberry telling people, go get 20 more seats and put them in front of Justin and Brittany. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, fuck it, okay. He's like, you know, it's for my family, my mom, like... You know, you have a mom, right? I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, fine. Just shut up. Yeah, sure. Fine. Whatever. Just sing to yeah. me. Just sing to me. And he'd be like, he'd be like, just go work it out with my people. I'm like, all right then. All right. Moving on. You know, like I tr- I tried to never get like all Star Trek. That was one of the times where I was like, wait, are you fucking, I have to sit in a limo with you while you ask me this? Like, don't you have a million people? And at the time he was quite big and, you know, so it was like, fine, I don't care. Fine. And I yeah. just did it. I don't even think I told my boss. I mean, she knew I had to go in the car, but I, she would have been like, you can't do that for him. That's fucking bullshit. I'd be like, what? She's like what the anti-talent like giver. She's like, no, yeah. you get four tickets, Usher. I don't care what you're saying. Yeah, a presenter gets four. Like we had a formula. So we it was just crazy. And then uh, my other story is with, 
Shaquille O'Neal. Like we had like a, love um, him. I hope it, I hope your story is okay. Cause I love him well, he was just in Reno recently. And oh my God. Okay. Go. Sorry. Yeah, No, he's a good guy, but he, like we were, um, we'd have talent sections at certain arenas that we had to create. So like you could really only have like you and your guests, like you couldn't be like your whole entourage. Like we would seat them somewhere else, but whatever. God, I feel like I'm writing a book anyway. So, um, <laughs> You could. We could just. He, he came and and it was like a very like private. So this way, it, the reason being is that like so the camera when they shot the talent section would be all talent. It wouldn't be like you know Shaq's uncle's sister's friend. You know, like it would just be like Shaquille his wife and then like you know Justin Timberlake and his girlfriend or whatever. And that's how it would look and it'd be a great camera shot, especially for the awards. So Shaq came and and I remember like standing in front of the talent section because there were just like stairs leading up to it and then he had like 10 people with them and I was like, oh, it's just for you and your wife and he was like, oh yeah? And I was like, yeah, it's delicious <laughs> for you and your wife. And he was like, yeah, okay, well, that's not going to happen. So you can move aside and we're all coming in. I was like, okay, great. Have a nice day. Like, and I just, <laughs> I just, and everyone's like, Tara, like, what? You want me to say no to that? Are you out of your fucking mind? You could squish me with one hand. Like, and I'm a big person. I was like, I'm not saying no to him. I'm not saying no to him. And I just like ran away. Like, it was just the crazy. I just, I just ran away. Um, excuse me, Mr. Shaq. No. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. You could basically palm me like a basketball. So I'm going to say, okay, and we're, I'll figure it out. I've been, I'm like, get more things. Like, I was like, I mean, I remember I was like sweating. Um, yeah, it was crazy. It, was oh, it sounds like there's the good reason for the um, Citron and the rolled joint after every event. Yeah. 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 I, so used to, I, mean, I ran around that floor like a fucking crazy person and I, I was floor producing but it was like on live shows it's fucking crazy like Dara 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 you know it's pink in her seat it's pink in her seat it's pink I'm like yeah she's fucking this she's fucking this but then we get the award going you know like it, there was no time and I'd be like oh you know it was it was crazy but it was so high stress that yeah drinking was a great great release after the show was over and yeah. I used to go into the bathrooms after it um, each show. It's like a very dark secret. And I used to just look in the mirror and I would start to cry because I used to pull things off that I never thought I could. And it was like, I would cry because I'd be like, I was under so much pressure and stress and everything. And then like after, you know, a two hour VMA or three hour, actually it were three hours, three hour VMA just went off. I'd be like, okay, I'm done. And I just cry and I would just cry. And then I would be like, okay, where's cocktails? And, you know, I never, that's what it was. It was totally a release to get out of my own head, to get out of my space that I couldn't. And I never drank on the job, thank God. But um, afterwards it was like open sesame. And I was just like a shithead to everyone around me. But it was, you know, I felt like I had the right, I earned it. I'm not really, you know, what are you going to do? And then we started producing the Super Bowl halftime show, like the infamous Janet Jackson showing her boob. 
her boob on TV. Accidentally? Accidentally, yes. That was her and Justin's thing. And I just remember, you know, first time MTV put 3,000 kids on the floor, and that was my responsibility with my co-producer. And I was like, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. And then all of a sudden, like, our headsets went silent, and it was like, what just happened? And, like, you could hear the producers like, she did not. Did she? Did she not? And like, you know, by God, we're on CBS. And it's like, it was crazy. And I'm like, I don't, I don't fucking care if she showed her whole vagina. Like, I need to get 3,000 kids off this field in six minutes so the game can start again. And it was, it was beyond insane the way we did it. I mean, that was crazy. And after that, it was like, okay, MTV, go have a nice day. And, oh, yeah. We could imagine that. That's- and we were like, no, we swear to God, Justin and, and Janet did it together. We were not involved. And they never believed us. So be it. They never believed us. We were telling the truth. There were so many stories. And, and like, you know, like, you know, I wish one day my kids could appreciate them all. But I'm sure they will. I mean, if they won't, just call me because I will. I was, a, I was an Us Weekly whore for no other reason. I literally remember, especially when I was drinking, I had a conversation with my old boss. So he was like the CEO of a health plan that I worked for. And we were having a social, it wasn't work-related, but it was social. And he was talking about politics and the whole thing. And I was in my probably early 30s. And literally any reality TV show and Us Weekly and people I had subscriptions to. And so he was talking about something. I'm like, I have no idea what you're even talking about. I'm like, I can't read Time Magazine because I don't get it, but Us Weekly. And he was mortified. I could just see that in his head, he was like, this is the person I have representing our company in the community. Right. And because I had such good relationship building skills, I was able to continue to keep the businesses interested in our insurance. However, I was not allowed to talk to the CEO much. <laughs> because he wanted to talk about fucking Time Magazine. And I'm like, I love Us Weekly. Did you ever know that? Blah, 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 blah. And I could name off shit. And he was just like, who are those people? Right. And I noticed right. that I'm kind of becoming that person now. Like my kids will talk about people. And I'm like, I have no idea who you're talking about. Right. But anything right. in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, I'm here for it. So yeah. If that, you was, have that, to- was, that was that was my life. Yeah. I, I like, love it. What? I was like, how did this happen? How did this happen? Ray's probably wondering how this all happened as well. Okay. So before we, (laughs) before we end this lovely, I, I, I could talk to you for hours. I just can. I just can. I really love you. And thank you so much for coming on board for your first podcast ever. Yeah. I could talk to you for hours. That's the reason I can do it. Felt a connection from the get go. So it's like, you know, why not? I'm so glad that we're not in a place where we're having um, frivolous conversation over pineapple martinis and we're getting to the real shit. We just really bonded over podcasting. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions, whatever comes to your mind. This is going to be a recovery hour special that every time I have a guest on, I'm going to ask them questions and you just have to answer what comes to your brain. Okay. Who is your dream dinner party guest and why? Shit balls. Um, I would have to go probably with Post Malone. Tell me why. Because I just love him so much and he's so fucking weird and he's, but he is so talented and I just adore everything. And he's so, I just want to see his tattoos up and personal, like on his face. Like, how do they even do that shit? And 
I just, I love him. I just do. I think he brought a whole new, I mean, I used to love Eminem and, you know, like the white rapper that got respect. And then now it's like post and he's out there. And I mean, I am sorry to bring race into it, but yeah, like it's just, Eminem is like the shit done. I literally think the first time I actually experienced an orgasm was watching Eight Mile. Yeah. Eminem is my man. Yeah. Just saying. Maybe Eminem too. Maybe the two of them. That would Can be I nice. come? I mean, I, yeah, you know what I mean. We have double date. <laughs> May I join you is what I meant. <laughs> and, and then come. Yeah, sure. Okay. Home <laughs> is where? Oh, my babies live. Yeah. Home is where everything no matter what's going on in the world I can always find peace yeah I love that favorite chore chore yeah like chore um favorite chore oh shit I don't know washing the bed sheets after having sex yes okay I was getting really worried about you when you said washing the bed sheets. I'm like, that's fucking lame. But after sex makes it fun. Okay. Yeah, like, like we better get ready so our girls don't come up and roll in your cum. Yeah, hey, that's damn kids in your cum bottle. <laughs> get out of daddy's cum bottle. Yes, please. You don't need to know what that is just yet. Like, it smells it. <laughs> Mommy, Dad, it smells in here. What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. Nothing. He's sitting down. Come, bottle. Most organized part of your life. God, I would have to say when I'm producing, producing an event, that's the most organized I ever get. I mean, it's very detail-oriented, so it's... Um, I get like overly organized, but my house is pretty fucking organized too. But that's just who I am. I have a case of OCD and I do like, I, I don't like to clean. I do clean because it's control, right? Like that's what it comes down to. Like yes. control freak um, and cleaning, you can control it all. So piss me off and I'll clean the hell out of the house. Yeah. Piss me off. Least organized. What's the least organized part of your life? What is the least organized part of your life? Well, I mean, I I feel like I just went through it and COVID, like with the COVID and and the schedules with fucking the teachers and the Zoom calls and the Google Meets and all that. I was like, I can't keep it together. I can't keep this shit together. Like, yes, I've produced events for thousands and thousands of people but I can't make sure my seven-year-old is on her google class meet at 9 a.m like that 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 like that threw me for such a loop like Abby's on this call Brookie's on this call and then we have this and then we have dance on zoom and then we have lacroix like it was just like ah like that flew my I, I really one day I was like I can't I can't and you would think that would be right in your wheelhouse, right? You think that yeah, but it was like it, it it thought I'm typically I got to a point where like I stopped doing lists because I'd be like, I can memorize it all. So egotist, uh, you know, so full of yourself, right? So I'd be like, I can do it all, I can do it all. I have this then and I have this then and the, you know, and then with the kids it just 
started to get too much and I'm like, I can't remember it all and I knew my work and, uh, and then it was crazy. And I, I finally was like, I'm going to start a calendar that lasts for like two days. I had the calendar. I got through a week. I mean, I went to the, to the tea. It's nine o'clock wake up call. We're having breakfast. We're having snack time. We're oh, nice. We had art. I mean, it lasted a week. For you. And everybody had their yeah. own too. Like, Cole, you can wake up at 9.30, but your sister has to wake up at 8. They just announced New York's. Are your kids in private? No. So you have every other day. They're going to go back to school. Oh, really? Oh, you haven't watched I did watched not know news? that. Look at breaking news by Lori. Breaking news. Lori comes in with the news for New York school system while she lives in fucking Reno. Girl, get on the get on Twitter or something. Governor Cuomo said that every other day. All right, I'll take it. Well, what are I they doing thought, on their off days? Are they virtually learning? Uh huh. There you go. You heard it here first. I mean, this is like very. It's a very good good news. Good news. That's some we, good shit. I'll I take it. I don't know. I don't know. I think it should be all or nothing, but that's just me. Cause I, I cannot teach my children. Like they just announced here in Nevada, the elementary schools are going full day back to school and the high schools, which my son is going into are going to school every other day or every other week or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting New York and Nevada confused, but it's in every other situation. Just so you know, okay. you're not going back full time, but you're going back hard time. All right, that was Dara Meyer. Meyer. Dara Meyer. Right. You say it. Meyer. Oh, the whole thing. Oh, Dara Meyer. Oh, the whole thing. Dara Meyer. <clears throat> you know what? Dara Meyer. And I used to get on conference calls with facing addiction and be like 20 people deep. And they'd be like, and they'd be like, and now it's Jeremiah. And I'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> So for a long time, they'd be like, Jeremiah, how are we going to produce this? I'd be like, seriously? Please. I was called that because I would say it so fast, Jeremiah. And they were like, are you saying Jeremiah? I'm like, yes, that is my name. Jeremiah. (laughs) I always say the best thing that ever happened when I got married was my name change because I went from Rothenbiller to, which is 13 letters, to Meyer. Like I got health benefits because I was unemployed. I got a short last name and a husband with a lot that was pretty hot. the maiden name definitely explains the Upper West Side situation. <laughs> I mean, it just makes sense now. You're like, oh, okay. Okay, thank you, Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah. Jeremiah. I know, now you're going to be stuck on it. Upfront Productions is Dara's company, production company. Love that the name Upfront came from the fact that she is Upfront, and we just found that out. Long Island Recovery Association. She also worked with Chris Heron Project and She Recovers Foundation, which is one of my favorite places to find help with recovery for all the things. She will be in production next year for She Recovers Miami, which we unfortunately had to postpone this past year because of the epidemic, but so many good things are coming out of it that we're excited for next year. Thank you again, Dara. It was such an honor to have you and so exciting. I'm so glad. I love you, Faith. (laughs) I love you too. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you, listeners. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Winfeld, jump on over to therecoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. So go do it right now. All right, all right. Calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I've been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame, as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.